Amen. Amen. Hey, take your seats, and while you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to the Psalms. And we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 1 today in a message entitled, The Death of Discernment. I love the Psalms. Some of my favorite passages of scriptures are, are found in the Psalms. You get to Psalm 150, and you have praise the Lord, praise the Lord in his sanctuary. You got the symbols bashing and all that's going on. And then you have search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts. All that, That's all found in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 119, I love Psalm 119 so much. We took two whole summers in this church to, to go through the 119th Psalm. Uh, my life first comes from Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, I love Psalm 121, a great psalm of comfort. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And uh, who can forget Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then we go through all of that, and we looked at that one summer as well, and then finish up, I will dwell in the house of the Lord uh, forever. Psalms are just filled with all kinds of truth and encouragement. They're filled with help when you're struggling. You see David's struggle and others who are writers of the Psalms who struggled and how they cried out to God and wondered where he was sometimes and yet a God was faithful to them. And, and then we come to this Psalm, the very first one, which is also one of the most popular of all of the Psalms and it has so much for us to learn today as we uh, think about godly living learning how to be discerning as followers of Jesus Christ. So uh, by now you got your Bibles open. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read Psalm 1. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by a stream of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked it will perish. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. and. The fact that we can hold it in our hands. Father, we cherish the truth that's found in it and ask God that as we look at this psalm today, you would uh, reveal yourself to us, Father, for uh, things we need to grow in and things we need to learn. We pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted in this message. And we ask God that in a world that's filled with so many troubling things, Lord, you would teach us some things today that would help us uh, to discern. Father, that we would be careful that we would walk rightly before you and bring you glory in our lives. I pray for the person in the room who doesn't know Christ today, that you would use your word today to draw them, bring them to that place of understanding they need a Savior. They are not the Savior. Jesus Christ is, and you would do a work in their lives as well. So, Lord, give us ears to hear your word, minds to be able to comprehend it, and then, God, faith, faith, God, to passionately live out for your glory in this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. 
Well, we're coming to the end of the summer. I know that's hard to believe, and some of you might even be a little upset that I said that, but don't blink because the summer is just about over. Um, if you go into the stores today, you see the back-to-school sales. They're all on, and, and people are out there trying to make sure that they got the supplies that they, they need for their kids, and they got all the clothes they need. Do they need a calculator? Do they need a new computer? What do they need? And, and the kids are all starting to talk about what they need and what they want and all the rest of it because we're getting ready for a kind of a beginning of a new season. Uh, maybe you're going back to university and you're going to be leaving here and going off to a Western or University of Waterloo or wherever you're going and you're starting to think about that. And um, Or maybe um, you're a parent and uh, you're just in the routines of life and the fall you get back into a regular routine again. And um, so I just want us to think about today. I want us to think about how discerning we are about all the things that are going on around us. See, we get caught up in the, do I need new pencils or a book or a calculator or a computer or do my kids have the right clothes for going back to school? But are we giving much time? Are we giving much thought in our overall lives to discerning the things that are going on in our world? And are we watching those things to make sure that we aren't, I'll tell you this way, struggles in getting our eyes off the Lord and getting fixated on other things doesn't typically happen in a, in a moment. It happens in series of little, little steps. And so often we're caught off guard because we weren't watching, we weren't thinking. And so today's a message about that. It's really to help us, help us in our walk. What did the psalmist do? So he kept his eyes fixed where they ought to be fixed. And uh, that's what we want to look at today. This psalm is about uh, two people Two people who have two very different paths and two people whose very different paths take them to two very different destinies. Now, ultimately, this message is about the first person. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the first person. So as I'm going through point one, if you're thinking, oh, no, we're going to still be here when the next service starts, fear not. Okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to camp a lot in the first point today, and then we're going to kind of go through quickly uh, the rest of it as we take a look at this message. And so here's the first thing we want to take a look at, the first person in our text. It's the blessed man, the blessed or the righteous man. Now, if you're a little bit older, when I read that text and I, and I read it like this, I said, blessed is the man. You're like, he didn't even read that right. It's blessed is the man. Well, that's for people who are over 50. Um, that's the way that we would have said it when you're reading it out of the King James, um, but it's the same word. And uh, so I'm, I'm reading and listening to different versions and different readers and the way they said it. And the, the group was about split. And I just decided I don't want to be old anymore. I want to be a punk. And so I'm saying blessed is the man. And, uh, but if you prefer blessed every time I say it, you just in your mind, you say blessed, it'll make you feel uh, better about yourself. But we want to talk about the man, uh, not so much about the word. Um, how do I know he's the righteous man? Um, really, I'll give you a sneak preview to what's going next. Man is the wicked man, and that's right in the text. And well, we know the blessed man is the righteous man from verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked uh, will perish and, um, and so the verse starts out by uh, talking about this man. He says he's blessed. 
Now, do you want to be blessed in your walk? As a follower of Jesus Christ, do you want to have a blessed walk? And now you're going to learn some things that will help us so that we can have that as we move forward in the Lord. This, this word blessed has the idea of contentment, um, happiness, uh, fulfillment. Uh, but it's a, a word with some intensity. It has strength to it. It's not just, yeah, yeah, I'm a happy guy. I'm a blessed guy. I'm a... It has an intensity to it. There's a fulfillment that's happening in this person's life. And so fulfilled, content, happy. Happy is the man. And then uh, we see in the text, just going through your outline, um, is defined by the pattern of his life. The blessed man, the righteous man, is defined by the, pa <clears throat> by the pattern of his life. Look what it says, the last part of this verse. It says, he walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And uh, so he starts out the text, he starts out this amazing psalm by talking about people who are blessed, and, and he gives it in the negative. You know, sometimes I was, why didn't he just give the positive thing first? And then the negative, I don't know why he did it, but that's what he did. And so there are things, if you want to be blessed by God, you want to be blessed in your walk, there's things that you don't do. And so he gives a picture of three things that the blessed person of God doesn't do. He does not walk, he does not stand, he does not sit. Um, and then he talks about stand or walk or sit in what? Well, the first one he says, walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Of followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be careful whose counsel we listen to. Ungodly people have all kinds of ideas. Ungodly people have all kinds of counsel. And we need to be careful that we don't find ourselves walking in that counsel. It sounds so good. It makes so much sense. We're going to talk about some illustrations later on in the message. And it's just, on the surface, it's so good and it's yet so wicked. And so not honoring to the Lord. And so if you want to be blessed of God, if you want to be that blessed man or that blessed woman, you're being very cautious and you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You find your counsel in the word of God. You find your counsel in the truth of God. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He knows how to discern what comes from the world and what is wicked and but as part of that, even takes time to think about it. So much is just poured on us from all over the place all the time, and we just take it in, and we don't even uh, consider it, and we don't think much about it. Um, the righteous man, he knows how to discern the counsel of the wicked. Um, he also understands that the thoughts of his own mind, the counsel of the wicked, can even come from himself and our own selfishness and our own desires. And, and we can start wanting things and start convincing ourselves of things. And the blessed man, the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The next thing it says, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Um, sinners have a way that they stand. Um, and the righteous knows that he doesn't belong on that path. That's not the path that I belong. Now, how will you know whether you are uh, walking in the counsel of the ungodly or standing in the way of sinners? We're going to see that in the positive side of his life in a minute. But he understood that there is a path, there is a way that sinners go on and we don't go in that way. We need to look different. People should be asking us for the reason of the hope that's in us because of things that we don't do. 
And I don't want to be all about negative, and I don't want to have a list, and I don't want to be a Pharisee making rules that don't exist. But, but in God's word, there are things that we are to stay away from if we want to be protected and we want to honor the Lord in our lives. And so the righteous man, the blessed man, doesn't uh, walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Um, as a matter of fact, he understands that the road that he will travel is a road less traveled. Uh, Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Uh, but rather the person who doesn't stand in the, in the way, he, um, he has a confidence. I love Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God has a path for us. He has a road for us to take. And it's not the world's path. And it's not the world's road. And the third thing it says that he doesn't do, he says he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. A wicked people, the world loves to be scornful, especially about God's people. Um, you just watch politics today. You watch the attack that we are starting to be under in our world, and, um, and it's becoming more and more powerful and more and more rampant, and, and we don't sit in that. We don't accept that. We don't, um, we don't listen to what the world is saying and, and just accept what they're saying. Um, others are putting Christians down. And it's easy to get on that bandwagon of, of negativity and really, it's really sinfulness. But the, the text says he doesn't, he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. And uh, who do you listen to? Who do you allow to have voice in your life? And, and in the context of the text, he's talking about unbelievers because the comparison is to the wicked. But there can even be people in the church who are like this. And they're always complaining about something. The burger that they got today, it, didn't, it wasn't cooked enough or it was cooked too much or, or the way Awana is run or the, the stuff they do in Harvest Kids or, um, uh, you know, our small group is. And there's just wah, 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 The blessed person doesn't sit and listen to that stuff and just accept it. Um, just don't do it. It's not what we're about. Um, Instead, we should be proud, proud in the right sense, proud in the sense that we follow God and we stand for who Jesus Christ is. I love this uh, statement. Charles Spurgeon said it. Be out and out for him. Unfurl your covers. Never hide them, but nail them to the mast and say to all who ridicule the saints, if you have any ill words for the followers of Christ, uh, pour them out upon me, but know this, you shall hear it whether you like it or not. I love Christ. See, that's our priority. That's our hope. Sin is progressive. Some people think this text is a progression of sin, and it might be a progression of sin. Um, what I know for sure is that bad walking and bad sitting and, um, and bad standing when we find ourselves in those things takes our eyes off the Lord and our walk away from the God, and, and we aren't walking in a way that would bring honor to him. 
in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8, it kind of gives the, uh, kind of the explanation or a fulfilling of this. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you for God has not called us to impurity but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit. Worldliness is a serious danger for the enemy, uh, from the enemy for us in this world. And it's so subtle for us how we uh, find ourselves being affected by it and even starting to live some things out that just don't line up with God's word. It affects how we think. It affects how we act. It affects how we dress. It affects what we allow in our lives. It affects what we believe. There's a lot of things about worldliness. Let me give you some really quick. Uh, worldly wisdom. Uh, James 3.15 says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. You see, be very careful what you're learning from the world. Now, all, all of the Bible is true, but all truth isn't found in the Bible, right? There are things that the world believes that are true. Uh, as a matter of fact, usually when Satan tries to deceive us, he starts with a little inkling, a little nugget of truth, and then builds a lie around it, right? So everything you hear in the world is not untrue, but we need to be careful and we need to be cautious and we need to make sure that the wisdom that we're listening to lines up with God's word, it's not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, worldly manners or actions. 2 Corinthians 1.17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Those are worldly thinking, worldly manners, worldly passions. Titus 2.11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives. How about the love of the world? Uh, worldly love, 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Worldly characteristics, 1 John 2, 16 says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. A worldly talk, God help us protect our tongues. 1 John 4, 5, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And there's the corruption of the world. You see what's going on in our society today, and in the, the political system is just a mess today in our society. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to pray that God would do a work in our nation. But the worldly corruption all around us, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promise promise so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire 
The corruption that's all around us is because man wants what man wants. He desires it more than he desires a relationship to God. And that's how we define sin in our life. Sin so often is, I want what I want more than I want what God wants for me. Guard your heart. Worldly corruption. And then worldly eyes. James 2, 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich? in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. See, the blessed man, the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Um, He's not a worldly person. He's not worldly centered. He's not world first in his life. C.J. Mahaney wrote a book a number of years ago, a few years ago, and it's called Worldliness. If you've never read it, you don't have it, you should pick it up. It's a great book. It's a simple little read. And um, in it, the book, he, he highlights about our heart and how it's affected by worldly things. And uh, he chooses in that book four or five things. He says, God, my heart, and the media. Uh, God, my heart, and music. God, my heart, and stuff. A God, my heart, and clothes. So those are the ones he picks in this book about worldliness, right? God, my heart, and these different things. And, um, and so do you ever even stop to think about what you're watching? Um, and when I think about media, I think of all kinds of media. I'll use television as an illustration, but it's just a, a minor little illustration of this because media impacts us in so many different ways. But do you actually think about what does God think about the things that I'm watching? Um, I'm so uh, thankful for our daughter and uh, her husband as uh, they consider what their kids watch. And um, like there's things that they watch that they don't allow their kids to watch because they understand it and they have the ability to discern what they're watching and seeing. Do you even do that? Uh, for them, when they come to our house, they don't have television at our house, so they get to choose like Netflix or whatever they choose to watch. And, and the commercials come on and I'm just like brain dead when the commercials come on and they're like, Papa, change the channel, change the channel because it's an advertisement for something that's coming that... They don't want their kids watching or the kids know they're not going to be watching. Do you ever think about those things? Is that even part of, of your psyche in your life and how worldliness creeps in so subtly as it relates to media and uh, what are you listening to in music and the effect that it has on you as you're, you're hearing these words over and over again that are not only, they're not neutral, they're dishonoring to the Lord. And it's so subtle and you just listen to it all the time. And you're not, it's not for the purpose of discerning. It's not for the purpose of understanding. It's just, it's on in the background and it's just filling our minds. Um, Am I saying we shouldn't listen to secular music? Am I saying we shouldn't listen to secular? I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is we need to be careful. We need to be discerning. We need to be thinking. And if it doesn't honor the Lord, then we need to be willing to turn it off. We need to be willing to put it away. Why? For the sake of Christ, for for the sake of God's glory in my life, for the protection of my family. Media, music, my stuff. Um, The church of Jesus Christ is so caught up in the world of having everything the world has. Um, And we need to be careful. Do I think that that because God has blessed us and put us in a nation that we have so much that we can't have some things? No, I I just think it's very dangerous that those things end up having us. And, um, and, And we actually worship those things. 
and they become the priority. And therefore, I got to work harder. I don't have time to take my kids to do stuff. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for, why? Because, because we got the priority all mixed up on our stuff. And then he goes as far in the book as he spends a bit of the book talking about our dress and modesty and all the rest. He, the, the world looks in such a way and we want to be as close to that as we can and still love Jesus. And he says, we need to be careful. We need to be so careful in the way that we dress. Um, I've added a few more chapters to his book. Um, he only wanted his book to be that thick. So if I was putting a few more chapters, I'd talk about worldliness. When I, I think about ethics, um, my heart and ethics, I'm cutting corners, um, not doing things the way the law requires us to do those. Um, I, I said last night, it's the illustration I've used here before, Sue and I don't pay people by cash. We don't do it. If you come and do this for me and pay cash, I'll give it to you at this rate. We just don't do it. It's cutting a corner. It's not the way it's supposed to be done. We're supposed to pay taxes. If you don't like the taxes, vote somebody out and vote somebody else in or, or move somewhere else to live, but it's the country we live in. And, uh, and so we're not supposed to be doing stuff under the table, sneaking around and doing, and that's just one little picture of ethics. And when you're filling out your taxes, do you fill them out properly? Do you put everything in that's supposed to be put in? What, what's your ethics about those things? And, uh, and so we are, we are in a world where it says, oh, it's okay, it's okay, just do that, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Ethics, my heart and ethics or my heart and morality um, again, what we watch and what we get involved in. My, my heart and worship. Worship. I'm not, I'm not talking about the worship. We're talking about coming to church on Sunday. I'm talking about what do you worship? What are the idols in your life? What comes before you? What comes before God in your relationships? Um, a Sue could be an idol. Lots of people in their marriage, I see marriages that are in trouble all the time, and, and one of the reasons is because marriage became an idol. Um, it became more important than God. Um, your kids, lots of people, kids are their idol, and, and their, their relationship with their kids is more important than their relationship with God. Um, and so God, my heart, and my worship, um, I love my wife. I love my wife dearly. I don't know how it'd go on if she wasn't here. But I know this, the God who's taken us through everything so far would take me through that and allow me to go through that and would move me forward because she's not my idol. Um, God, my heart and what I worship, and then God, my heart and my thoughts. As a man thinks, so is he, is what the Bible says. And um, all this is wrapped up in our, our worldliness. Um, I used to teach when I was a youth director. That was a long, long time ago. I've used these four words with you before, but if you haven't heard them, it'd be good for you to write down. It's a good grid to put things through as you are considering things in your life and how you connect to them. And, and so whether it's music or whether it's ethics or, or whether it's media or whatever it might be, um, here's the four words. The first word is goals. What's the goal? Uh, that music that's being played, what's its goal? What's, what's the goal of the media in what you're listening to? What's the, I'm watching, what's the goal? Uh, the second thing is, what's the graphics? What does it look like? If it's pornographic, it's just outright wrong. You don't even have to think about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to ask for a discernment about it. You need to turn it off. You need to put it away. Graphics. Goals, graphics, lyrics. What does it say? What is it saying? Literally, what is it saying? That one is the easiest of all to look at. And you can judge that right back against God's word and goals, graphics, lyrics, and then what's the lifestyle? 
What's the lifestyle that it's portraying? What's the lifestyle of the people who are doing it? And God help us in this world when it comes to worldliness that we would be set apart people, set apart for the glory of God. But there's another whole part of worldliness I want to talk about today that's a lot more subtle. I think about it as we get ready for the kids to go back to school or people to go back to you, students going back to university or you're going back to work. And it's the subtle things that are happening in our society that are, are taking our eyes off the Lord and they're religious in nature because they cause us to worship other than God. Um, you know, if your kids are in a secular school, they're being bombarded by Eastern religion all the time. It's all over the curriculum. It's all over the classroom. Uh, in your workplace, you might be being bombarded by Eastern religion all of the time. If you're in university, it's before you all of the time. And uh, we need to be combating it. We need to be ready. Um, in Philippians 2.5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. Satan wants your mind. Eastern religion wants your mind. Worldliness wants your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The battle is for your mind. And anything that teaches you to empty yourself or center yourself is not from God. It's not from God. We're going to see what God tells us to do, and he doesn't tell us to do those things Eastern religion is being packaged and repackaged in a way that's so acceptable in the North American culture and I fear so acceptable in the eyes and minds of many believers. There's, it's subtle and you're not even seeing it and you're doing things that are opening your mind, your life to things that not only don't bring honor to God but bring opportunity for the evil one in your life. And it's so subtle and it looks so cute. It's like nailing jello to the wall. But we need to be aware of it and we need to be considering it and we need to be teaching our kids and we need to be helping them. Here's two illustrations. The first one is mindfulness. Mindfulness. Time Magazine had a front page whole thing on this just a few months ago about mindfulness. How do you define mindfulness? Well, I found a number of articles, and one of them was 20, 20 definitions of mindfulness. That's how subtle it is. That's how dangerous it can be. Webster's Dictionary says, mindfulness is the practice of maintaining a non-judgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experience on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Do you hear what it says? If you take out the part about maintaining a non-judgmental, it sounds kind of good. A complete awareness of our thoughts and our emotions and our, our experiences, moment-by-moment. -moment. Sounds nice. It sounds good. And every single aspect of it isn't evil, but just take the non-judgmental part of it. Just accept whatever happens. Don't, don't stand for anything. 
the reality is um, it's a form of Buddhism. Mindfulness is Buddhism repackaged for North America. That's what it is. In an article that's entitled The Cult of Mindfulness by Melanie McDonough, she, she wrote this. There are other aspects of mindfulness which strike me as problematic, not to say unchristian, and important element of the practice is to eschew judgmentalism, to observe and accept ourselves and our surroundings with compassion, which sounds dandy, except that there are some things about ourselves and our situations that we jolly well shouldn't be non-judgmental about, and we should be trying to change where Buddhism causes us to go within ourselves to meditate inwardly. Christianity takes you out of yourselves to God and from there to others. Mindfulness is dangerous in the life of the believer. And we need to be aware of it. And we need to be considering it. And we need to protect our children in this. We need to be engaged in our schools. We need to be engaged in groups in our, or we need to be staying away from those things. It's funny that religion's not allowed in the school. Well, Jesus isn't. But every false religion is wide open in the school. And this is a form of Buddhism that's in our schools and in our world and in our society. And it's subtle. And we need to be aware of it. We need to guard our hearts in it. Mindfulness. How about this one? Yoga. Yoga. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I just stretch and I do my little doggy pose and I do my little, I do my, uh, what are you talking about? Yoga is a practice found in all sects of Hinduism. Yoga is Hinduism repackaged in North America. That's what it is. There are different types of yoga, but all are touted as a means to achieve unity with the divine and thus to earn salvation. There are several practices within yoga. These include, but are not limited to meditation, repetition of sacred sounds or, or syllables, om, breathing techniques, acrobatic exercises, and positioning one's body in different, uh, excuse me, in different postures. Meditation is central to all forms of yoga. Meditation helps its practitioners be able to find release from the endless cycle of birth and death and rebirth. Really? Yoga is a method of spiritual training whose purpose is to integrate or unite the self. A physical exercise, its goal is non-physical uniting with God. Yoga teaches that people should attempt to yoke the individual spirit to God, to Atman, the individual soul or essence of a person, and to Brahman. Yoga is essentially physical exercise in which one tries to attain unity with the universal divine essence of Hindu ideology. Yoga, by definition, is not Christian. It's a religion of its own, using terms and try to redeem it in our society, in a Christian context, is not honoring to the Lord. The term Christian yoga should never be used in the same sentence. Some of you are like, come on, pastor, lighten up a little bit. See, here's the problem. The lines across get so subtle. And so, is, is it okay to stretch and relax? And of course it is. Is it okay to meditate? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. What the Bible says meditation is. And so, of course it is. But to empty yourself so you become one with God, 
That's works. That's me trying to become God or reach God on my terms. The positions of yoga, I was talking with somebody after the service, the, the positions of yoga, okay, in and of themselves, is it wrong to be doing whatever they're... But even those have implications to the gods that these people worship in the East. Just the position you're in is a picture of something. You're, well, I don't even know about that. So I don't go too far down that path. I, I want to be careful on that. I want to go with what I can defend from God's word. And here's what I can defend. You need a savior, and you're not that savior. Jesus Christ is the savior. And trying to empty yourself to become one with God is a path that leads to destruction and separation from God without any hope. And it's being bombarded in your workplace. It's being bombarded in the schools. It's being bombarded all over society. And the fact that I can stand up here and talk about it and some of you in your mind are going, come on, it's not that big a deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And we need to be careful. We need to be so careful. Um, the old farmer used to say, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You can't change that. And just repackaging something from somewhere else and bringing it here so that it fits nicely into our culture doesn't make it good and it doesn't make it right. God help us. God help us to study and to know. Um, well, in First, in First Chronicles twelve thirty two, it says, "Man, men who had understanding of the times, now those were the ones that God was using. They understood what was going on. God help us to understand." And so, this man, the righteous man, he's also defined by his source of pleasure. Okay, I told you that first point was going to take a long time. We're still kind of in it, and uh, because the second part of this message is going really, really fast. Okay. He's defined by his source of pleasure. Here's his source of pleasure. His delight is in the law of the Lord. What gets you excited? Are you excited about the law of the Lord? Are you excited about God's word? Are you excited about knowing it and living it and doing it? Because the, the, um, the righteous man, there's things he doesn't do. He doesn't walk, he doesn't stand, he doesn't sit in some things, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord. Where do you find your delight? Here's how you know you, what you delight in. You don't have to be encouraged to do it. Nobody has to talk to you about it. You just do it all the time. If you're delighted in sports, you're up and you're going all of the time. That's what you do. That's what you're focused on. If you're delighted in your kids, they are your focus. And you're always about them. You're always about that thing. If you are delighted in your spouse, they are your number one priority. What, where does God's word fit in this? Because here's what the psalmist taught. The man who is blessed is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord is a man who loved the word of God, loved the truth of what it says. That's what he wanted to be about. It says, and on his law, he meditates day and night. See, in Eastern meditation, the goal is emptying yourself. Biblical meditation is very different. It's filling your mind. It's filling your mind. And so I'm not focused on all the things the world is going on, but I'm not focused on getting all those things out of my head so other things could be put in, but rather I am deciding to fill my mind with the word of God through reading, through studying, through memorization, through how do I hide the word of God in my heart so I won't sin against you. It's, it's chewing over the word of God. It's, it's singing the word of God. 
meditation is pondering. It's not about a trance, but it's about full knowledge of what we're doing. And um, the Bible says this guy, he delighted. It was his delight. It was his first, first priority. Um, and it says the righteous man only has God's word on his mind two times a day. Two times a day does the righteous man have God's word on his heart. All day and all night. It's his priority. It's where his passion is. It's what drives his life in, in what he does. It yields fruit, the Bible says. Um, this describes uh, what his life produces. Um, in verse 3, it says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he, he prospers. And that's what his life produces. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. There's lots of nourishment. There's lots of life. And because of that, he bears fruit in its season. Oh, in the right time, fruit is happening. Um, people can see. Um, but then also, when fruit isn't happening, it also says its leaf does not wither. It's not a brown leaf. It's not a dead leaf. It's a tree that's alive. It's a tree that's healthy. That's, that's what his life is producing. And, and what are we producing in our lives? And, and then he's also described by what his life accomplishes. In all that he does, he prospers, it says. Romans 8, 28 for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes our heart. And then the psalmist goes on really, really quick. He says, The wicked man's not like that. The world that we're trying to stand against is not like that. And my message today was about the blessed person, the righteous person, and but then in contrast, the, the wicked man's not like that. He's defined by the pattern of his life. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. And what they're doing eventually leads to nothing. They take the grain, they throw it up in the air, and when it would come back down, the seeds would come back down. The chaff would just blow away because it was useless. And what the world offers us, when we think about eternity and our lives and our hope, what the world offers to us is a waste of time. It's like the chaff. It just gets, it gets blown away. That's the pattern of his life. The source of his pleasure is found back in verse 1. Uh, they are the wicked people. And what are they doing? Well, they are the ones who are giving the counsel. They are the ones who are standing in the way. They are the ones who are doing the scoffing. That's what the wicked are like. God, guard our hearts to see and understand. Yes, to love. Always loving these people and caring for them. I'm not suggesting we go out in any other way into the world, but to love people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But understand the danger of what comes from the wicked person, from the pattern of the life, from the source of their pleasure, and by what it produces, look what it says in verse 5. Therefore, the wicked, they won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And then one last thought, verse 6. They're described by what their life accomplishes. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The life of the wicked is leading to destruction, eternal 
destruction. We talked about this last week in the message when we were finishing up the redemption series and about glorification and what we're going for, what we are so looking forward to as followers of Christ as opposed to what the world is going to receive and what's going to happen to them. In Revelation 21, 78, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestables, for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, so what? So what? As we, as we get ready for the fall, as we get ready for a new season, we get ready for our kids to go to school, as we get ready to go to university, what are we standing for? Are we being cautious? Are we being discerning? Are we loving God's word so much we're letting it drive our agenda and what we get engaged in and don't get engaged in? In Joshua 24, 15, it says, and Joshua says to the people, it says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, help us not get caught up in the trap in the death of discernment. Help us to get and keep our focus on, on you, God, being our delight in your word and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And give us a passion to live for your glory as the number one priority in all we do and all we say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's found in it. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our eyes fixed on him as we walk every day. Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, discerning minds. The battle for our mind rages on every day. It rages on in what we listen to, what we watch, how we dress. But Lord, we've zeroed in on a couple of other things, the subtleties that are happening all around us, God. Give us discernment that we would live according to your word for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray in his name. Amen.